0: It can be hard to know what our kids are really thinking and feeling, but when we encourage kids to engage with us in conversation, and when we lean in and actively listen, we inevitably learn something that helps us do better by them. Welcome to Dear Highlights, the podcast inspired by letters and emails from kids who write to highlights, seeking a listening ear and a little guidance as they wind their way through childhood. A short, sweet season, but also a period of heavy lifting for kids. I'm Christine French Cully, Editor-in-Chief of Highlights and your podcast host. I'm joined by Hilary Bates, our podcast producer and thoughtful mom of two. We're here to amplify the voices of children and to explore with expert guests many of the issues that kids and families wrestle with regularly. We're glad you've joined us.
1: Dear Highlights, my mom and dad have been separated for about a month. I
2: have two
0: Our topic today is social aggression, which, more simply put, is meanness, the act of saying or doing something with the intent to hurt someone's feelings or diminish their social status. We see it as being different from bullying or teasing, and we get into that a lot in this conversation, but it can be just as hurtful. Kids, of course, have been writing to us about being the target of social aggression for decades, but it seems to be on the rise. Social media surely amplifies it, And in these divided times when civil discourse seems to be increasingly rare, we see more social aggression among adults. And as we often say, our kids are always watching us.
2: Yeah, I'm so happy for us to have this conversation today that is about something a lot more universal than bullying. We hope the majority of kids won't really experience systematic bullying, and we hope the majority of kids will not be bullies. But Most every child is going to say something to a friend or not a friend that they wish maybe the next day they hadn't said or could have done in a different way. And definitely all kids and adults will report from their childhood that they have experienced something that was painful to them. And really understanding how to help our kids lean into the better versions of themselves is um, at the core of what highlights means when we say help kids be their best selves. And it's definitely something that is on the minds of most parents that I know.
0: Absolutely. You know, one of my, um, I want to say, favorite letters from kids about this topic is a letter we received from a reader named Hank, who's just seven years old. And this was a handwritten letter, and it's written in his childish scrawl. And it really tugs at my heartstrings, because as you say, we all have similar memories from our own childhoods, so from our kids' childhoods. And But Hank wrote and said, sometimes my friends run away from me on the playground, and that makes me sad. And that makes me sad too (laughs) and that's a good example of the kind of behaviors i think we're thinking about when we talk about social aggression there was another letter from um a reader named gloria this is recent uh last year and i think it shows just sometimes how far social aggression can go and and illustrates well how hurtful it can be she says and she calls this behavior bullying but I think that is a big catch-all term that kids use a lot for any kind of social aggression. She says, Dear Highlights, I don't remember if I told you this already, but I'm sure I didn't. I think she writes to us often. This boy in my class was bullying this girl in my class and kept calling her ugly. She was too afraid to tell him to stop. She tried to do it, but he just kept saying mean things to her. When the teacher leaves the room, the girl hides under the table and the boy starts getting bossy and told her to go sit down. He even tried to call the teacher to get her in trouble. When he called her name, she quickly goes back to sit down. No one was brave enough to tell the teacher what happened, but I did. Every single day, I felt nervous, thinking he was going to bully her again. I was going to tell you this months ago, but I just forgot, Gloria."
2: And she remembers it months later because these interactions are some of the deepest learning and most memorable things that happen to kids in childhood. So I'm really excited for us to talk to the guests today about how we can help to support kids through these really important moments. Absolutely.
0: And our guest is Jennifer Miller, who for 25 years has been focused on raising the emotional intelligence in parents and kids through her work as an educator, a parenting coach, and the founder of the popular website, Confident Parents, Confident Kids. So Jennifer, it's really good to be talking with you again. Over the past several years, we at Highlights have had several wonderful conversations with you about how we can nurture kids as they learn to understand and manage their emotions. We really appreciate your willingness to share your thoughts with us again.
1: I love it always. Our conversations are always so rich and well-informed by what kids think, because you're always asking kids about what they think and feel. So I, I appreciate it.
0: Well, before we talk about kids, let's talk for a minute about us adults. Almost every grown-up has a memorable moment from their childhood where they felt like they were on the receiving end of mean behavior and also one where they regret being mean themselves. Why do you think it's so much more common for grown ups to talk to one another about the former rather than the latter? Because we want to make sure we talk about both today.
1: Absolutely, uh, you know, emotion seals in memory, and sometimes I think we forget that. And the more intense an emotion, the the bigger the memory we're going to have. So a, a painful interaction uh, or a, a bullying relationship that we had when we were in high school and middle school and grade school is going to be something that sticks with us. You'll be amazed, I think, when you ask adults about their mean behaviors in high school, uh, middle school, elementary, and often our interpretation of our own behaviors at that time is a bit more innocent then maybe the receiver felt it as so. So the the bullied child uh, may call it bullying to their parents, who they're confiding in. But perhaps the child who did the bullying would never name it as bullying. Um, They were seeking power, they were gaining popularity, they were behaving perhaps as kids behave in their mind. And so later in life, they may not look back and say, I regret those behaviors or even call them out as bullying behaviors. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you're hinting at a lot of things we want to dig into a little more deeply in this conversation As Hillary and I were talking about what we wanted to do with this episode, we agreed that we wanted to focus on mean behaviors that probably don't strictly fit the definition of teasing or bullying, but those behaviors that still sting and are hard to ignore or forget. As you say, they're deeply embedded in our emotions. For clarity, can you help us think about the differences between teasing, bullying, and what we're calling social aggression?
1: Sure. So so teasing uh, is really uh, a subjective issue. It can be silly jokes at someone else's expense, but the person who's being joked about can take it lightheartedly and, and not be deeply damaged by it. But teasing can also be very painful and feel like exclusion or rejection. So teasing can have Um, both sides, kind of uh, depending on how it's interpreted by the teaser and the TZ, right? Um, I think social aggression is different. It is the intent to cause emotional harm. So it is an emotional attack. Um, Sometimes it can be hard to identify because it can it can be done through the spread of gossip or rumors. It can be done by excluding other children, kind of banding with others in order to exclude a child. Uh, It can be done in subtle ways through body language and not through explicit words. And so it can be Um, Sometimes hard to call out or detect, but it can be incredibly painful as well. And then finally, bullying uh, is a series of actions that typically increase over time and centers around power. So the child who is showing bullying behaviors, picking on another child, Typically, it starts with small words or actions, and it can grow over time. Uh, and if they, if the the bullying is successful, in other words, they feel like they're gaining power, then the tendency is to want to take more and more, um, and that can be extremely uh, painful and even traumatic for a child who's on the receiving end of bullying behaviors. I will call out though that, uh, children who are exhibiting bullying behaviors have been bullied. So they have been the recipient of bullying. And sometimes it's from adults in their lives. Uh, whether, you know, it could be uh, a coach or a, uh, a neighbor uh, or even a parent, but they have been the recipient of bullying behaviors and they're externalizing because they're needing to seek power and they don't have a good model for seeking power.
0: Thank you. That's really helpful. I think sometimes we use bullying as a catch-all term. And I think these distinctions are good for us to all know and understand.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what I hear and what you're saying in part is one of the things that differentiates bullying from the social aggression that maybe we're going to talk about more today is that it's a pattern of behavior that builds over time. And it's not the kind of thing where people will often say, well, could you ignore this one time and it'll go away? It's not going to go away because it sort of has a power, purpose and plan to move forward. Um, Whereas, you know, a lot of the letters that Highlights gets from kids, we certainly get questions about bullying. We also get questions about a lot of things that happen within the context of friendships and friendships where power exchange is happening quite fluidly. So it's not necessarily the case that one, one person has more power than another over time, but kids are experimenting with forms of what we would call social aggression, even within their friendships. Can you help us understand for elementary school ages, I think I, I heard you name some of them before, sort of inclusion, exclusion, and gossiping, but what are the ways that kids in elementary school are commonly experimenting with social aggression, even inside their friendships?
1: It can take many forms, uh, as, as you alluded to, Hillary. So I, it can be as simple as spreading a rumor or trying to damage someone's reputation, uh, m- perhaps by making up something or calling out something about a child uh, that may be perceived as negative. Um, it can be uh, mean, direct mean words, um, and often when, when mean words are exchanged in elementary school, there's an audience. So it's more painful. It's more humiliating when there's an audience for mean words. Um, and it, it can be about excluding children from, from play, from games, from uh, birthday parties, uh, from events, uh, and that can be very painful for children. It can take place in social media uh, as well as in person. Um, and whether it's happening online, uh, on text, or in person, it can be equally damaging. Um, so, but as I mentioned before, with social aggression, sometimes it's hard to pinpoint. Uh, the child feels the pain but may, in elementary school especially, have a hard time articulating what caused the pain uh, because it can be subtle. uh, It can be about body language, exclusive body language. And so a child is going to have a hard time articulating to an adult what what that was that caused the pain.
2: I think you're making such a good point. I know as a parent who has had kids in elementary school, how you're sometimes hearing about things at the end of the day, and you're really trying to unravel, like, what exactly happened? And is there something I need to be concerned about and intervene? Do you have questions you would recommend we ask of kids to try to help them express what they might be feeling if they've had a conflict with a friend? And we're trying to untangle what's going on here
1: yeah. Um, I I think one tip is to tread lightly. And uh, so often we're dying to know what exactly happened. And it can be very frustrating for young children to express, uh, and figure it out. So I think having some patience, uh, and, and compassion as they try to communicate with you, because the truth is they want to talk about it. They're feeling it. You can see the discomfort, uh, but hanging with them instead of pelting them with questions and, uh, kind of putting yourself in that place, um, if, for instance, if it happened on the playground, well, it, tell me what you were playing. What was what was going on? Uh, who was playing together? Uh, and when did you start feeling unsafe? Uh, and and what were folks doing when when you started feeling unsafe? Uh, but even then, our young children are going to struggle with the words. Uh, to put around it so I think our patience in getting to the bottom of what happened is important. Uh, also not skipping to judge the other children is important as well um, because so often we don't know exactly what the circumstances were and it it will it can harm the friendships and relationships if we immediately judge, children in their sphere um, critically. And so it's important for us to keep an open mind and keep the dialogue open and and approach it with some compassion for our child, but also curiosity for the other children. I wonder what was going on there. And I, one example from my own son, he was hearing mean words on the playground from a friend and surprised by it. And it was more painful because it was from a friend. And as we talked about it, and I tried to be patient with him, uh, I asked him if anything was going on at home. And it turned out his parents were in the middle of a divorce. Well, that was very revealing and not something that he would make a connection with, but it was very easy for me to say, well, do you think he's really hurting? And maybe it's less about you and more about the fact that he's really hurting.
0: Yeah. That, I think your point about being careful with judgment is so well taken. Um, my son had a similar circumstance. Somebody was giving him a hard time at school and it turned out there were some serious problems at home that we learned about. And and it was easier for all of us to be a little more, um, just show more grace, I guess. But isn't, I mean, social aggression can come from a lot of influences or there are a lot of causes. Um, And some of it is kind of normal behavior for kids who are trying to figure out who they are and where they fit in. Is that correct?
1: Oh, absolutely. It is normal behavior. And that is why uh, it is so important that schools teach how to act kindly. Teach how to include children versus exclude, um, how to relate to one another in positive ways. Um, those social skills are are gonna be tested, and children as they develop are are not only making mistakes as a part of their learning, but they're testing everything related to friendships and in groups and out groups, and so they really need models and specific practice with how do you how do you reach out to a child who's brand new, and include them in your playground games. Um, if you don't include that kind of training and teaching, then exclusion is going to happen as the norm.
2: So we have heard some reports from teachers and others who work with children that since the start of the pandemic, they are seeing increased aggression from young children, particularly at kindergarten level, kids that are new to school spaces and maybe have not been in group environments in the last couple of years. Does that ring true to you? And how much should institutions be thinking about how to support kids that have not you know, maybe have spent some time away from social settings?
1: It absolutely rings true. Um, Anecdotally, I certainly have heard from many, many parents that they've seen um, an increase in aggressive behaviors from children in their children's sphere. But I, I followed that up by looking at the research studies and there are um, there were four or five that I took a look at, um, one in Italy, but the rest were in the U.S., and they all confirmed uh, an increase in the during the pandemic in what might be called externalizing behaviors. In other words, the pain that you're feeling inside comes out and sprays on someone else and hurts someone else. So uh, it is true that that has been... Um, There has been an increase. Uh, There are potentially a number of reasons for that increase. Um, One of which can be parental distress, that when there is stress at home and children are home uh, consistently, that they internalize that stress. And then when they have the opportunity to be with their peers, where they feel more agency they feel greater power they feel less power with adults then that comes out and sometimes that comes out as a big mess as we know <laughs> right so um so i think you know your question about what do we do about it or how how can we be aware of this and and take action um, I think we really need to become very intentional about re-educating and currently educating our children on social skills, including boundaries—physical boundaries, but also emotional boundaries—and um, and also kindness. How how can we create friendships? How can we grow friendships? How can we sustain friendships? What are the qualities of a good friend? Um, And how do we let other kids know when they're stepping over the line and acting in angry or abusive ways? So uh, that's tricky for adults, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's always tricky for our kids and top of the learning agenda. However, because we've had a pandemic where we where our children have had some time in isolation, it is particularly important that we focus on their social and emotional skill building so that they are getting some extra rehearsal with uh, how to be in relationship with others.
2: I love that idea of rehearsal. That's a really nice uh, way to think about it. We do have so much focus on learning loss that's correct and good to talk about during this time. But I know when we look at what kids are writing us about, they're so much more concerned about friendship at this, at, at elementary school age, than they are particularly about academic subjects. And when I think about how difficult this period has been. I think that parents, teachers, other people working with kids, I hope that they feel just as energized around helping some of that social lost time be replaced as they do about the academic time. Um, Speaking of the idea of thinking of this as sort of social education, let's say, like it's when we're all, even adults too, are still in the process of learning how to navigate connections with each other. You know, no parents want to condone their children's behavior that makes other children feel bad or less than or harms a child's social standing. But what are the life lessons or the social emotional learnings that can come from experiencing a little social aggression? How should parents think about interceding both when your child is the recipient and when they're the aggressor? when do we step in and sort of how much should we be stepping in because this is an opportunity for them to learn a little bit in their relationships with each other too
1: i think it it is every time our children go through a an instance where they they've had pain because of mean words mean actions social aggression it is an opportunity for us to teach them social and emotional skills. So if we can put on our best coach hat uh, and really listen to the feelings that they have, and sometimes we have to call them out because they may not be in the habit of naming their feelings, but how can we listen for the feelings and then articulate back to them what they're feeling and really show compassion for their difficult feelings in, in that time. Uh, but then it's an opportunity to ask good questions about the friendship. Uh, what, what was happening? What, what was the other person feeling? Why, why were they so angry? Do you know? Um, were they angry with other children? Did you see them angry throughout the day? Our children are learning the skill of empathy, and it it is a learned skill. So often we can't we are not born mind readers. Often children will misinterpret what other children's words or actions or body language is about. So uh, often a child is grumpy all day; they're in a terrible mood, and they're spraying out negativity wherever they go, and your child just happens to be one of the many recipients. So it's not a personal attack. Well, that matters, right? Because maybe that suggests that the friendship is not doomed, but that that child was just having a really bad day. Uh, And then, so when you, after you process a bit and ask some good questions, You promote a sense of empathy with your child. You give them some practice with that. It's really important to to help equip them. If they need to go back and say something like there's real uh, abuse happening, there's there's really uh, a boundary that they need to establish, then how can you coach them with that? Uh, Next time you see her in the hallway, are you going to be scared to see her? How are you going to feel? Well, let's practice what you're going to say. Uh, if she came at you with mean words again, what could you say to her? Maybe something as simple as stop, that hurts. Uh, and and rehearsing some words that, that your daughter or son can say in response to those mean words empowers them. And then, you know, you always have to leave them with the confidence that they can handle their relationships. They can manage their own relationships. You have confidence that they can figure this out Um, because it does take courage to set boundaries. Uh, So if they hear from us, okay, I've got some words. I can say stop and I can move on. I can grab another friend and, and feel safe again, uh, that kind of coaching can be really invaluable.
2: You know, parents are much more likely to hear from their kids about the mean things that kids are saying to them than they we are to hear about the mean things they're saying to other kids, right? So that information is either going to not arrive to us or it's going to arrive to us from another parent. And now we're a little bit in a defensive mode. So in the same vein, I I love the idea of what you're talking about, about coaching kids and sort of preparing them about how they would respond in that interaction. But what can parents do to find out a little bit more about how their child might be acting in these tough situations um, if we want to be in a position to coach them how to rein in their own inner meanness a little bit?
1: It's hard, right, Hillary? Because I think we don't often hear those stories. We're certainly not going to hear them from our child. And uh, we may hear them from another parent. And again, as you said, we'll be defensive in that situation. Um, Certainly, you can see red flags. Like if, uh, if you're watching your child run with other kids in the neighborhood and you see them acting aggressively, that's gonna tell you something about how they're acting at school as well. Um, So I think there can be red flags. Sibling relationships, are they kind to their sibling? When siblings have a conflict, are there ways that they can learn to work it out with one another uh, without being mean, without criticizing, without harming, either verbally or physically. So the sibling relationship is something that parents can really work on at home. How do you treat your sibling? Uh, I love processes that teach siblings how to resolve their own conflicts so that a parent is not always mediating a conflict. Um, But those are valuable social emotional skills that you can prepare your child with so they're ready for conflict at school. The other thing that is so important but harder, I think, is uh, our own self-awareness about our own friendships and our own relationships. Um, Do we talk in ways that blame? Uh, Do we judge and criticize when we are disagreeing with others? Uh, or do we offer open space for, um, for differing opinions? Uh, and do we show kindness when we're disagreeing and, and try to work things through? So our own modeling uh, matters in a huge way. And, and we really, the best way to work on that is is to recognize. What, you know, to ask the question, how am I relating to my friends and, and what lessons are being learned by my child by seeing that?
0: Absolutely. I think we as adults tend to use a lot of euphemisms for social aggression when we're doing it or when other adults are doing it. You know, we call it different things when it's children. It seems that there's a tendency today maybe to view aggression as, as strength or toughness, And it's admired and seen by some of these observers as being a positive attribute. And as you say, we know our kids are always watching the adults around them. And we also know that kids often need help interpreting what they're seeing, whether they're looking at adults or children. Our adults in today's divided world that sometimes seems so uncivilized in terms of how we converse with each other or so disrespectful of one another, are adults contributing to an increase in social aggression among children? Or are we somehow contributing to the idea that social aggression is acceptable behavior, especially for
1: leaders? I, it, you know, I want to say it depends on the person, of course. Uh, it depends on the family. But I think it, if I were to, to sweep broadly, yes. <laughs> I think um I, I think our, our national discourse in general has been aggressive. I think the way that political campaigns are run where we attack uh another candidate does not promote dialogue or debate skills that are are healthy and constructive. So um so of course there are plenty of people who Understand how to communicate in nonviolent ways, but but I think uh, what we see in our media uh, and generally our national discourse tends to be aggressive, competitive, and aggressive. Uh, it is a, a win lose stance, and when you have winners, you have losers, and uh, and our children are learning that. Um, so. How can we become more aware? Uh, It is difficult when we're surrounded in a culture that is is more competitive and aggressive, but we can create bubbles of collaboration in our households. And I really, truly believe that creates a ripple effect in our neighborhoods, in our school communities, where we uh, demonstrate what it means to dialogue. To, to disagree and also dialogue and, and retain an open mind and an open heart uh, and accept that differences are necessary and important in order for us to learn.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. I know that was a tough question, but an important one I think that we should think about. So, Jennifer, we like to end our podcast by asking all our guests this question. As you well know, our core value it highlights is the idea that children are the world's most important people. If we really as a society believed that, embraced that idea, what would we do differently to help our children um, become their best selves?
1: Whew. That's a big, another tough question. Another, yeah, it's such a big question and such a good one. Um, and the thing that that jumps out at me immediately is our own self-awareness, that we we take that mantle very seriously, that we we listen to ourselves, that we turn the mirror on ourselves when we're having our dinner conversations about social issues, about issues that are in the news, about uh, stories of neighbors or uh, peers in our school community, how do we talk about people? And are we articulating compassion? Are we articulating empathy? Are we articulating curiosity and interest in differences and an interest in learning? Uh, if our conversation tends toward um, judging, criticizing, blaming, aggression, competition, then how can we notice and begin to turn around that conversation so that we are modeling the kind of values that we want our children to grow into?
0: Thank you. As always, you've given us lots to think about, and uh, we're so grateful that you gave us some of your time today. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Always a great conversation.
0: You can learn more about kids' hopes and dreams and their worries and fears from the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available on highlights.com or wherever you buy your books. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hillary Bates, and also to our audio
1: engineer, Ted Weckbacher.